<clears throat> in the beginning was the beginning. Although in one sense of the word, there really was no beginning. Now in the end, inevitably, of course, there will be an end. Although in one sense of the word, there really is no end. Now, the beginning that really is a beginning will also have an end that really is an end. Although behind this beginning and end, there's a non-beginning and a non-end. And before this beginning has its end, we'll be given an opportunity to have a new beginning to keep from getting to its end. You see, for God, there was no beginning. And of course, there is no what? There is no end. And he created children. So for us, though, there is a beginning with an option to having an end. Unfortunately, we chose an end to the beginning. So God made sure that there would be an opportunity to have our end turned back into a beginning that has no end. You thought that was complicated. I was going to try to do something from Stephen Hawking, uh, uh, and I got lost after the first sentence, so I just tried this. Our Grace Point Christmas seasons begin today. In the midst and the, uh, the war and the casualties of Black Friday, you know, actually in Southern California, there were four arrests made in the baby department of a Coles department store in Tustin. They made the police blotter. They arrested all four ladies. I don't know what they were fighting over, but I just thought it was funny is that they give the story and then at the end they say, uh, police report that it began in the baby department. So if anybody ventured out, I'm glad you're here. You may be bandaged and bruised. But it begins today. We simply called it traditions. That's what we called it, traditions. And it began with the idea of a traditional Christmas. The worship team came up and said, you know, why don't we just make this traditional? Normally we come up with a theme and we build up to it and we make the Christmas program around it. But why don't we talk about tradition? A traditional Christmas. See, tradition is the handing down of information, beliefs, and customs by word of mouth or by example from one generation to another. From one generation to another. So it would be then that that traditions are handed down over what? Over time. So Pastor Walt and I said, well, if we're going to do a a leading up to this, to, to Grace Point Christmas traditions, I said, what do, you, what do you want to do? How do you want to do this? And he said, we get back to the basics. Back to the basics. Back to what tradition is. And the thing about tradition is that it's done over what? It's done over time. So when we begin to talk about Christmas tradition, then, then we, need to begin to t- we need to begin with something that we normally probably don't begin with and can't get any more fundamental than that, and that is time. We don't get any more fundamental than time. The problem is, is that you and I look at time that has a beginning and has a what? And has an end. Some would call that linear time. Okay? We live, we live on this line. 
Time for us has a beginning and it has an end. And from birth to death, our time is then marked by a consecutive number of days, a consecutive number of events. And this is where our traditions come from. Our traditions come from a particular day or an event happening, and if we want to remember it, we pass it on. We go to the next day with it, and we remember what happened the day before, and we pass it on. This is what time looks like to us. God, however, though, is not bound by linear time, is he? He's not bound by events. He's not bound by anything. So for God, time is really what? Timelessness. See, I think that that we spent a few weeks talking about how self-centered human nature really is. And sometimes we assume that God has to operate the same way that we do. That he is bound by the events, by the things that happen. And and, and, and so traditions for him would be the same as traditions for us. An event, something to remember. See, and you and I look at it that way, and we look at great days or celebrations like Christmas, and we see it as an event. We see it as a day in time. But what we forget is that we're the ones that live by linear time. God does not. So for God, time is timeless. This is, it's, it's timelessness. So for, for his tradition, if we were going to go back and say, what is God's Christmas tradition? What would be his Christmas tradition? We have to first do it by defining time as linear is for you and me, a beginning and end. We're the ones that put an expiration date on beginning. But God, for God, it is timeless. He's not bound or controlled by linear time. So before the beginning, there was God bound by nothing, nor no one, including time. He did not require the thought of anything or anyone else in order to exist. Do you love pondering eternity? No one had to think of God. See, God for us becomes real when we think of him, or at least that's what we think. I think, therefore, I what? I think, therefore, I am. I think about him, therefore, he is. But actually, God existed, created us, and then said, think about it. He simply is, always has been, and always what? Always will be. So, make a basic assumption about God in his timelessness, okay? And that is, he can be whatever or whoever he wants. Is that a safe assumption? Yes or no? Could God be, do, whoever or whatever he wants? Is that that a safe assumption to make? Okay, it's even safe for a created being to say that about the creator, right? Wouldn't it be? He can be or do whatever he wants. So the thing about God is that if he chooses, he wants to, he desires to, his choice was made. Now, I don't know if his choice was a point in time. Really doesn't matter because God is what? God is timelessness. He's timeless. So I don't think that it's like for you and I to make a decision, it has to happen in a point of time, right? I can decide right now to walk to the other side. It's, It's a point in time for me. So I don't know if there was a point in time that God decided to be who he was going to be. But since he is all-powerful, all-knowing, 
all-loving, all-merciful, all of all, and not bound by time. I assume he is the way he is because he wants to be. He chose to be, right? So, somewhere along the line he chose, or he just chose, or he just was, okay? Just, just, just was, and see, I, I use the word was. I, I shouldn't use the word was with God, right? Because he was, he is, and always will be. So, he didn't want us to get headaches every day thinking about him. You know, living in, the, in a place where there was no oxygen, okay? To live on a plane where there's no oxygen so high. So, he decided he was going to manifest himself in ways that you and I could begin to put our hands on it. That you and I could begin to wrap our puny little minds around. So he decides to manifest himself in three persons. Who are they? Who's the head of the cast, y'all? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, did the Father come first, then the Son? Did the Spirit come first and then the Father? Did the Son come first and invent the Father through the Spirit? No. We believe the, eternity, the Trinity is e- co-eternal, right? Do we believe in three gods? We believe in one God who, because of our puny, finite minds, decides to manifest himself, maybe in time or not in time, in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In a way, he gives himself three job descriptions. He cuts himself in three parts in order for you and I to begin to grasp the concept of him. Otherwise, we'd be walking around going, was, is, is to come. No one to think of, boundless by time, and he would just be out there. But it wasn't good enough for him. When it came to the time, when it comes to timelessness, too, when it comes to timelessness, I don't think that we have too much of a problem thinking about the Father and the Holy Spirit as timeless, do we? Because the Spirit is what? Spirit is Spirit. Goes where He wants, when He wants. Is He bound by anything or anybody? It's easy to talk about the Spirit being timeless, right? And it's easy to talk about the Father being timeless. It's when it comes to this sun that it makes it a little harder for finite creatures to grasp as timeless. Because somewhere in this timeless timeline, the sun actually stepped into time and took on one of our limits, right? So we begin to argue then, so is the sun really timeless? So, so with him, it's, it's a little more difficult to think of him as timeless, because he actually became a person, didn't he? He actually became a person and he actually willingly stepped into time and gave himself an end. You see? So I wanted to spend a little time on the timelessness of the Son, though. Paul, in Colossians, speaking of the Father himself, speaking of the Father, he says, The Father, he has rescued us from the power of darkness transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved one, of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay? 
We all agree that that's what the Messiah came to do. This is what Jesus did for us in order to step into our time. This is what he did in order for us to be in his kingdom. But when was his kingdom formed? Was it formed when you and I decided we were going to, that we took a point in time and said we were going to believe these words that God says? Actually, he says, no, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, which means before creation, there was him. He was there. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him holds all things together. So what does the Father say about the Son? The Son is also eternal. He existed when? Before all things. He exists when? After all things. And he holds all things together. So Paul says that the Son is eternal. He's as eternal and timeless as the Father and the Holy Spirit. How many here are suffering from hypoxia right now? I am. I'm dizzy. Okay, I'm dizzy. Can't live in these circles too much. All right? why it's left to great minds like Paul's and Pastor Walt's. <clears throat> so the Son is as eternal and timeless of the Holy Spirit. As we begin this season, we celebrate the fact that this Son would become one of the creatures who put an expiration date on time in order to what? In order to save them. In order to take the expiration date away from their beginning and make it an eternal beginning again. And not one creature said amen. You must be suffering from hypoxia. Isn't that what we're supposed to be celebrating? We got three weeks. We better get it right. You don't want the day to come and say, I don't know what I'm celebrating. But before he became incarnated, took on human flesh, before the word became flesh and walked among us, he already had a form and was walking among other creatures. Right? He was eternal. He existed eternally in another form. What I love is that I think the Bible even tells us about that other form. The Bible begins to to explain to us, to tell us, Okay, us finite, puny creatures of how to grasp this eternal God. So he existed eternally in another form. We covered this a couple of years ago. We don't know much about him. He shows up all of a sudden in Daniel chapter 10. And even then, we don't know much about him after that. The angel Gabriel has come to comfort the prophet. To strengthen Daniel because Daniel has just seen a divine, brilliant being. And it's kind of knocked him for a loop. It's actually knocked him straight to his face. And he's so weak, he can't lift up his head. So God said, Gabriel, go help him out. Go lift him up. Okay? He's fallen faint. He's nearly dead at the side of this being. This being has a face of lightning and eyes of fire. He's got a body of burnished bronze and the voice with the sound of many waters. Gabriel stands Daniel up and encourages him. He tells him he was delayed because of a battle and that a chief prince came to the battle to help him 
with the forces that were delaying Gabriel from getting to Daniel. You with me? Gabriel says, I had, a pro- I had a problem getting here because I was fighting with the prince of Persia. He said, so this being came and he helped me out. And he calls him the chief prince or the chief of princes is what he calls him. Now that term, that, that, that Hebrew term, chief of princes, you only find it in one other place in the entire Bible. And it's in the story of Joshua. Before Joshua takes the people into the promised land because Moses has given him the mantle, Moses is going to climb up on Mount Nebo and die. Joshua is now charged with taking Israel the rest of the way. Okay, They've come all the way from Egypt. It's been 40 years, and now it's Joshua. So Joshua's decided that he needs to pray a little bit, and he needs to meditate a little bit. And he's looking at Jericho because Jericho is the first stop in this, in this journey. The end of the Exodus begins with this this battle in Jericho. He looks up and there's a being there. And the being is completely armed for battle. He has sword drawn. Joshua asks who he is. And the being says, I am the chief of the Lord's host. The exact same term that Gabriel gives this being in Daniel chapter 10. I am the chief of the of the Lord's host. I am the chief prince. You with me? It's the only other place that you find it. When Joshua hears his voice, guess what he does? Just what Daniel did when he saw him. He falls on his face and he worships him. Now we may have been living in, 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 in rarefied air for a little while, but who are we supposed to fall on the ground and worship? Do we fall on the ground and worship angels? You try to worship an angel, what's an angel going to say to you? Get up. Okay, don't do that. But this other being, this chief of princes, he's got something about him. When people see him, they worship. And by the way, he doesn't tell them to get up. See where we're at? See where we're going? Daniel sees this divine being, drives him to his face. Joshua hears the voice of this divine being, drives him to his knees, drives him to his face. Gabriel explains to Daniel that, that, he is, that, it's, that it's his prince and he's ready to fight for him. As a matter of fact, he's telling, he tells Daniel he's already victorious. When Joshua sees this divine being, he's coming from Jericho and he's armed. And, of course, what happens the next day? They win. Could it be that that divine being already went to Jericho? And with that sword that he had drawn, loosened up the mortar a little bit around all those walls? So that all it takes is a blast of a trumpet? And what happens to the walls? Yes, and a song is in my head right now, too. In Ezekiel, he's shown the throne room of God in the same divine being, same description is there. And when Ezekiel sees him, he falls on his face to worship. The being shows up in Revelation 1, walking among the lampstands, representing the churches of God. He identifies himself as completely divine, the first and the last. The beginning and what? And the end. He defines himself as the first and the last, alive forever having the keys of death and Hades. He's the one. He's the one. This divine being, more than an angel, 
is identified by sight in these other places, a battling prince, fighting on behalf of God and his people. And then Gabriel actually named him. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me 21 days. So Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me, and I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Gabriel said, this battle was too much for me. Michael showed up, and I left him there. And guess what? I'm here. I'm here because Michael was what? He was victorious. Michael. Mikael in Hebrew. It's not a name. Just like Emmanuel is not a name. It's a sentence in Hebrew. And literally, Michael, in three parts in this sentence, literally means who is like God. How many mics do we have here today? There's one. I thought we had another one. Where's all the Mikeys? Michaela, right? How many Michelles do we have today? We have a few Michelles. Michelle Birth actually spells hers this way. And yes, Michelle, in Hebrew, your name literally means who is like God. It's a question. It's a question. Who is like God? What is the answer? It's a rhetorical question, right? There is nobody like God except God. So this divine being is who? He's God. Literally, that's what Michael means. Who is like God? You find all three of these words come together in a couple of special places. In Exodus 15, the the Israelites and Moses are singing this song of victory over the Egyptians. And they say, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I'll divide the spoil, my desire shall have the fill of them, I'll draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. That's what the Egyptians tried to do to Israel. And Moses is singing to God. He says, you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, doing wonders? Who is like you? The answer is there's no one like you. There's no one like the Father except the Son. No one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all co-eternal, all God. No one else like Him. No one else like Him. Now the Son's manifestation, this, this Son's manifestation, seems to have a particular purpose. There's something about this one's particular purpose, okay? And it, and it, and it says, I forgot, I'm sorry, I don't have the psalm up there. The psalm says... All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you? You deliver the weak from those too strong for them, the weak and the needy who despoil them. Who is like you? You deliver the weak, you deliver the needy. This son's manifestation seems to have something to do with the weak and the needy. He seems to have something to do with those who put an end to their beginning. He seems to come to help those who cannot help themselves. Isaiah 44 says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let them proclaim it. Let them declare and set it forth before me. Who has announced me from old things to come? 
God is asking us today, who's like me? Nobody. First, last, no other God. Michael's more than a name. It's a sentence that literally means who is like God. And every time Michael's name is mentioned, it's a, it's a sentence to get you to say, there's nobody like God. This is the son before he became incarnate. This is Jesus before he became Jesus. And what's his job? To fight for the weak and for the needy. To help those who put an end to the beginning to have no end to their beginning anymore. So when did this Michael, this son, this Jesus, put the Christ in Christmas? When did he do this? Was there a point in time? Was it a point in time in which he did it? In one sense, there was not a point in time. No, not in one sense of the word. We talked about that before. He was destined before the foundation of the world, and, but was revealed at the end of the ages for what? For your sake. He was destined when? Before the foundation of the world. There wasn't a point in time when he decided that he was going to rescue. There wasn't a point in time when he decided he was going to do this. He's always been this. The son has always been this. Because God is not bound by linear time. He's not bound by a date. You see what I'm saying? Ephesians says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. When were you chosen to be in Christ? Before the foundation of the world. You were chosen to be you before you were you. In fact, you were chosen to not have an end to your beginning before you even knew there was you. In one sense of the word, you're not even here. In one sense of the word, you're in heavenly places with Jesus Christ because of what he's done and who he is. He loved you before you were you. He loves you now and he'll love you after there are you. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes you don't know what it's going to sound like until you say it. Then it's too late. <laughs> so when did he choose you and me? Eternity ago. He doesn't need a point in time. He doesn't need a day in December. He doesn't need a day in April. All he needed was him. All he needed was you. See, my Christmas traditions are the sum total of all the Christmases of my ancestry. I'm sure I've got some ancestors back generation, generation after generation who did some little thing on Christmas that made its way all the way down to me. By the time they get to the first Christmas I can remember, they're the sum total of my families. I passed some on and some not. My kids will do and continue to do the same job of creating and filtering and passing on and not passing on. Those are our Christmas traditions. But what is God's Christmas tradition? If we're going to begin with tradition, what is his? Jesus says this about you and me. He says, Father, 
I desire that those also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory which you've given me because you loved me when? Before the foundation of the world. When did the Father love the Son? Before there was time. Because the Son and the Father are co-eternal, remember? Right? They're timeless. You loved me before the foundation of the world. But get this. The verse before this, he says, I in them and you in me. Jesus in them, in his disciples, in us, and you in me, so that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So if he loved Jesus before there was time, if he loved Jesus before there was eternity, it means he loved you before there was eternity. What I'm trying to say is that God has one Christmas tradition. It's you. It's always been you. He loved you before you were you. He loves us even though we put an end to you and me. God's Christmas tradition is you and me. So whatever traditions we place and put and remember and do. I was heard that it was told that tradition is the dead religion of living people. Ritual is the living religion of dead people. People that have died. People that have died in the face of God to allow them to give them life. There's nothing wrong with tradition, by the way. Absolutely nothing wrong with tradition providing that it gives room for God to speak. I wish I would have known that I was his Christmas tradition before I began to make some of my own. So today I just wanted you to know that you are his Christmas tradition. And this year you can make some of your own. Welcome officially to Grace Point's Traditions Christmas. Let's pray. Father, We thank you so much, Lord, for this season. We thank you that even the world, even the entire world almost, it seems the entire world, turns their eyes towards you in some way or some form. There's a warmth to this season. There is a a generosity. There's a spirit to this season that we really can't explain. But we do know, Lord, that we think of you, that we see you. And as, as your family, as your children, we just want to thank you for, for taking the opportunity to step into time, to give us the opportunity again to be timeless. And we thank you we do that because of him. Who is like God? Only you. Only you. And we praise you and are humbled that you have made us your Christmas tradition. We just ask that we see you more clearly, that we serve you more dearly today, and that we do so all through this season. Keep everybody safe, Lord, this season, safe from harm and safe from temptation. And let that warmth of this season live in us, that we would be able to give it to somebody else. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.